millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello everybody and welcome to History and Technicolor. This is me, David Crowther, and... This is me, Wolf O'Neill. Hello me. Uh, so, this time it's all you, it's all about you, Wolf, and you're going to be talking about a film called Geronimo, apparently. Geronimo, an American legend, as its full title Geronimo, an American legend. And I think before we started, we wanted to, we felt both a little bit nervous about this because we're very conscious of dealing with somebody else's history and a very emotionally charged bit of history as well. So before we all start, you know, anybody out there listening, hopefully you'll come on Facebook, you'll comment, you'll you'll put us right where we get it wrong. And we apologise in advance for any major screw-ups in our understanding of context and all the rest of it. And what's also important is I really want to learn more about this history. Like, this is fascinating for me to research and look into and... I want to learn more. So if you have good sources, you have good books, you have good movies that I should be watching that can give us more context around all of this, then please do tell me. Great. Onward then. Before you start, is it correct that everybody used to shout, Geronimo, when they were going down a slide or something? I always did that when I was a kid. Did you do that? Never. I I think I must have. I was actually talking about this morning. Were you really? We were trying to figure out where... That yeah, uh, use of language come comes from. Does it come from this man? And if so, what's led us mm. to continue to say that? Do right. children still say it now? Okay, well, that's good to know because I thought maybe I was just weird. So, answers on a postcard from anybody who's listening about why we say Geronimo when we're going down a slide. That's the last question I've got for the entire rest of the year. So, over to you, Wolf. Oh, the silence coming from the side of the room is uh, pleasant. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, Okay, so Geronimo, an American legend. It is a 1993 movie. Uh, It depicts events um, spanning roughly 1885 to 1886, at the end of the Geronimo campaign, when the US Army was attempting to round up the last of the Native Americans into reservations. Geronimo was a prominent leader and a medicine man, and one of the last major Apaches to keep fighting against the army and a life of confinement. The film follows a small group of soldiers tracking him down. Uh, it's uh, written by John Milius, who wrote Apocalypse Now, and is directed by Walter Hill, who was a cult film director. He made The Driver, he made The Warriors, which is an incredible movie. 
He was involved in producing and creating the story for James Cameron's Aliens. So there's some pretty good credentials in there. Cool. Uh, and I've selected it because... How can you not? <laughs> Gene, you how can you Gene not? Hackman and uh, Robert Duval uh, uh, in a Western uh, okay. about the legend of Geronimo w- with the people that I've already mentioned before. Okay, I'm beginning to understand what you mean because I must admit you could say you wouldn't necessarily have to select it. But yes, I get your point. I'm a huge fan of Westerns. Okay, cool. This has got giants of kind of the 70s American cinema right. operating in it. I, the story sounds very intriguing. Cool. Everything about it drew me in. I'm obviously sceptical because it's the mid-90s and I've never really heard of it before, but I, I thought this is a movie that I have to watch. It's kind of got all the ingredients that would that would draw me in. Cool. So it might be true to say that History and Technicolor has given you the opportunity to look at a film that you might not have looked if you hadn't had this opportunity. Can I just yes. say thank you to History and Technicolor on behalf of both of us? Thank you to me and to thank you, you to you. <laughs> so, the, the history, kind of what's the, what's the build-up mm. to this setting? The Apache are a group of culturally related Native American tribes uh, that lived in an area known as Apacheria, which consisted of places we now know as Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, Colorado, etc. Prior to the mid-19th century, these lands generally belonged to the Spanish and then later the Mexicans, and as such, battles and fighting often occurred between these groups for a very, very long time. Uh, During the 19th century, the term Manifest Destiny uh, was coined, sort of around 1840. Okay. And this developed in the United States and became an important belief for many and was particularly used by politicians, presidents, etc. It was contested by individuals such as Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant, who, who didn't believe in that um, ideology. What is the ideology? Manifest destiny. Essentially, it's the belief that the American people were destined to expand across and settle all of North America, okay. that it was their right... <clears throat> So I've learned that stuff like the gold rush occurring just furthers this idea. Mm. They gain California approximately a few years later. The gold rush happens. Prior to that, it's been a, it's not been the wealth that it is. Suddenly they realize, wow, we've got all of these resources. When they find oil, they continue to find other stuff. It just reaffirms them that their taking of the land is, is right. Okay. So you need to imagine the map of the world. The, a third of Mexico's land is the southern half of what we now know as the United States. Oh, wow, that much. In 1946, the Mexican-American War begins, and the army moves all the way down to Mexico City during the conflict and captures it. They seize the majority of northern Mexican land, ranging from the Rio Grande to the Pacific coast, and territorial expansion continues, and inevitably conflict with the Apaches and the other Native Americans rises. So in 1851, Congress passes the Indian Appropriations Act, which authorises the creation of Indian reservations in modern-day Oklahoma. And then as relations worsen with the settlers encroaching on the Indian land and taking their resources, they have to realise that they basically need to build these reservations to try and move these populations out of the way. So they were land that was specifically chosen for them, and it was sometimes away from their ancestral home. Uh, I assume this is particularly if valuable resources were discovered or obtained, such as oil. The tribes are moved to them and they have to live there. If the tribes ignore the relocation orders, they're forced to move by the US Army, Their conditions were relatively poor and there was corruption involved in the kind of system that was operating them that has been found. And uh, lots of the tribes left or tried to leave the reservations once they were in them. This led to wars and sometimes to massacres. During this time, the Apaches are raiding American and Mexican lands for resources, livestock and sometimes people. And obviously violent fights and retaliations are occurring regularly. Geronimo was one of the most formidable Apache warriors and his skill in battle... 
uh, and the long period of time for which he fought and kind of led to his legacy. He also supposedly possessed powers which others had witnessed him using so that he could foresee events. He previously suffered the loss of his family in a Mexican attack and was often driven by his revenge uh, towards the, those people for the rest of his life. Uh, and according to some sources, his band of followers were some of the most brutal and violent around. And for over 30 years, he fought, battled, attacked, escaped, and evaded Americans and Mexicans alike and grew increasingly infamous. So essentially, the thing that's most fascinating to yeah. me is to even comprehend the geography of the time, uh -huh. to realize that a lot of the places that they're operating and that they're, they're living in um, have only recently become American land. Yeah. There was, it, was, it was Mexican prior. It was... French ages, Bonaparte sold loads off in the Louisiana deal. Yes, indeed. So, to think about how much has changed from like 1800 to like yeah. 1880 where we are now is it's a little bit too much to fathom. Okay, so what did you think of the film as a film? The film is obviously made in 1993. Uh, Dances with Wolves came out a few years oh, earlier. Yeah. Last of the Mohicans a couple of years before that. Can I just say that I love both of those movies? They are incredible. Am I allowed to like Dances with the Wolves anymore, Kevin Costner? Yes. Great. I love it. Also, it's important to know that obviously um, Wes Study, I hope ah, I right. pronounced his name correctly, yeah. is important in both of those movies and is insanely memorable in both roles. Right. So obviously when I saw that he was in Geronimo, my thought is to go to those two movies and to be pretty right. darn excited. Are we allowed to like a man called Horse anymore? I've not seen it. You've not seen that? You need to see it. He gets hung up? Oh, yeah, okay. Okay. The film comes after the great success of Dances with Wolves, Last of the Mohicans, uh, and there's just a general wealth of westerns are being made at this time. So they start making Tombstone, The Quick and the Dead. In the early 90s, there's a huge boost in westerns. They kind of died off for a few years. I remember that, actually, at the time, because I was always a massive western fan as a kid. Spent, you know, John Wayne, you know, could have married him and have his babies. I don't think he'd have wanted to, but, you know. Um, you could have married John Wayne and had his babies. <laughs> he didn't ask me. Let me just stress that point. Anyway, but then they seemed to die off, and then suddenly there was this new wave of westerns I was sort of dimly aware of, and actually I'd probably moved on, so I didn't watch too many of them. But I was kind of aware that there was a reinvigoration of the the brand or whatever. the. Type. Well, so there's a number of different cycles of the westerns, as much as I'm aware, and they kind of go through the classics that you're talking about. You've got John Ford and everybody and uh, everybody's watching them, and then kind of as you get to the 60s and 70s, you get Sergio Leone, you get Clint Eastwood, Aww. they change a little bit, but you start to, Sam Peckinpah right. um, really creeps in, but you start to notice that they begin to be kind of um, reference the political climate at the time. Um, it's definitely, when you think about a movie like The Wild Bunch, mm. the feeling of that movie is completely different from yeah. Rio Bravo. Yeah, we, We've completely changed at this point, uh, and I think... There's a kind of a really political section of, of Westerns. Um, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. We've got um, Bob Dylan involved in them. So you're kind of doing some interesting stuff. And then I think it just kind of dies off again and is maybe represented as like an old genre that, that doesn't right. work anymore because we kind of don't feel like we want to make classic Westerns. Mm. Um, but maybe the, kind of the trend was just changing. Box right. office is altering. But Dances with Wolves comes out. Yeah. Everybody realises it's a huge success. They want to copy that model, and then you get that kind of flourish again that happens. And what's the sort of feature of those that new wave of movies? Does it have a guiding theme or a, a common approach? Okay, so as, as best as I can roughly tell, there's kind of a few strands. Uh, the one sort of begins with Clint Eastwood making Unforgiven, where he subverts the genre that built his career. He takes kind of his original lead character, but essentially gives him all of the emotional baggage that he never would have had before. 
This is not the man with no name. He isn't shooting without regard. Yeah. This man has emotions, guilt, a conscience. He's reevaluating everything that he's doing all the time. And the outlook on the West is a very different one. It's not this fun place you want to go. It's not Westworld. We don't want to go there on a holiday. And they're kind of recognising the difficulties of the time and kind of addressing the legacy and the legend that we associate with the the place. But then you've also got um, Kevin Costner makes Mm -hmm. Dances with Wolves, which really doesn't feel at all the same. Uh, That, Last of the Mohicans, some of those others, are these kind of grand, sweeping epics. They try to show us more of the native populations, maybe what it was like to really live with them or for them to exist in these worlds. A re-analysis of history and how we want to present it and an update of the genre so that audiences in the 90s want to go and watch Western in the cinema. And does Geronimo fit into that genre, do you think? It's definitely inspired by them. It wouldn't exist if they didn't exist. The movie already struggled to be made, so... They're really trying to go off of that template and they're going to want it to be a little bit like them as much as possible. Generally, though, Geronimo is a little bit more hard-edged than, let's say, Dances with Wolves. Mm. It maybe even tries to go further into the history of the Native American population and really address it slightly more head-on and maybe show the complexities of it and the kind of alternate perspectives. As in, it's not just going to say, for example, that they never did anything wrong and that they were permanently like victims. I think it does try to address the fact that they were obviously a warrior nation and and build up their culture in general, expand it a little bit more. And it isn't all about being friends and sipping tea and learning of their culture in in that manner. It tries to be this kind of exciting, a little bit more challenging Western. Can I just say that I'm delighted to see that the ultimate, the most friendly thing you can think of is sipping a cup of tea. Well, aren't we doing that now, David? (laughs) And aren't we the friendliest of a bunch? That is true. That is so true. Okay, so what happens in the movie? Okay, so like I said, this is kicking off in sort of 1885. You have Charles B. Gatewood, and then you have a young Matt Damon. Yeah, young um, Matt Damon. I did not realise before I started. Very young. Who's uh, Lieutenant Britton Davis, and essentially they have to get Geronimo into the reservations on behalf of Brigadier General George Crook, played by Gene Hackman. But Geronimo doesn't really want to be kind of confined to this environment, and he escapes a couple of times uh, until they eventually have to kind of track him down on this long mission and try and get him to carry on his like fi- give his final surrender. Did you like the film, David? Did like the film? Uh, yes, with reservations. Is that a pun? Can't <laughs> <laughs> it should have been. Okay, so who is the lead role in the movie? Okay, the lead role in the movie is that's a great question. I'm so oh, you should be a teacher. Okay, well, it's either Gatewood. Britton Davis or Geronimo. Okay, so the movie has failed because you don't know who your main character is. Yes. I would argue that from the get-go. But let's break it down. That's so, a good point. Lieutenant Britton Davis opens the movie. Matt Damon opens the movie and he closes it with his <sighs> wet blanket narration <laughs> and his his ideological kind of quotes that he keeps throwing out there. But I'm... John Boy okay. Walton meets Geronimo, and he's got to do something about his haircut, Matt, hasn't he? So, uh, first of all, of course, as soon as the movie begins, of course this is, like, his first job. And he's, like, writing a letter to his family that's like, I've just gone off to the army, wish me luck, I hope to make you proud. And I'm like, oh, come on! Why is this our introductory character to Geronimo's story? And he has all these sayings like, I thought the US Army kept its word. I'm quite content to go to my grave knowing I've never shot an Apache. It's a, he has an important viewpoint... 
But it seems odd to me that he's bringing us into the movie and he tells us he's going to tell us the story. But at the same time, he's not really given the screen time or the presence to really be the lead character. Right. Okay, so he's going to kind of tell you what's happening from his viewpoint, but you're not really going to follow it from his character. Right. So that's one thing, but he obviously complicates it. I almost completely lost wrong. that, by the way, when I was watching the movie. Britton Davies became irrelevant to me. And when he leaves at the end or something and it's all supposed to be terrible, I think... Mm, Shall I make a cappuccino? He, he's only there to watch what happens and then recount it. Now, he did write a book. He wrote a story, a, a book about this, mm. and a lot of the quotes are taken from his original text. Right. Um, although, supposedly, some of his negative co- comments have been removed. Uh, you then have, and this is who I think the main character is, Lieutenant Charles Gatewood, played by Jason Patrick who at the time was a huge actor in the 90s. Lost Boys was 86 or something, so he's still riding off of that, but he obviously disappears eventually. For me, he is the real central character. He has the most action scenes, he kind of dictates the story, he's the one who has maybe the most complex character development. He's very morally unambiguous, isn't he? He's kind of like a heroic figure who... Although he's doing a dirty job. But, but we see him tested and he continues to stick to his guns. But he doesn't know what... Yes. Sure. <laughs> so he's continually tested and people try to break his resolve, but he never really alters. And weirdly, I think that it's that sense of his greatness of who this person was that's really what they want us to take away from this movie. Yeah. Which is bizarre since Geronimo, an American legend, is the title. Mm. And Geronimo should be the main character. Yeah. He's not in it that much because he's often on the run, so they have to pursue him. And then when he is present, we only see him through the eyes of Britton Davis and Gatewood. Yes. So we're seeing this legend and we aren't really given the the inner thoughts of this man that much and we don't really get a full feeling for his character. And I think that he is a little bit shrouded in mystery. But it should be noted, the performance is incredible. I don't know about you, but I personally think as soon as I see him on screen, there's a presence around him that, that you can't escape from. Um, yes, he does a really good job. Wes's portrayal is is brilliant. And yeah. it kind of makes sense that he would progress to this role mm. through the other westerns that he's been doing. I, I just think Geronimo is underdeveloped. It felt to me rushed. So it felt to me as though they were going through too much time scale to properly develop the character. But actually thinking about it, that's not right. It's only a part of Geronimo's life. They don't cover his early life. They don't cover his life in Florida. So there is enough time. It's just that somehow they don't keep their their eye on the ball of saying our job is to make Geronimo really live in all his complexity. And I think that's because the desire from Walter Hill, from what I've gathered is to show both sides of the story. But why call it Geronimo, an American legend, if it is not about him, if it is about the US Army trying to catch him? I can understand if the filmmakers don't know how to depict him, and as such they choose to kind of show different perspectives of him from a bunch of different people, from the scouts, from the brigadier generals, from the men on the front line, from his own men, etc. And we kind of have to... Just accept that we're never really going to understand this this legend, but that we can kind of maybe just get a, a taste of, of the myth. What do you think about Jason Patrick's performance and his, his role in general? I thought it was okay. Insufferable? <laughs> well, I think it was a bit squeaky clean. And you're conscious of thinking, this guy's being built up into a sort of hero, isn't he? They tell you that he... I'm pretty sure they tell you he's come from West Point, And immediately, he's there to have a contrasting voice... 
accent. Everything about him is meant to be the exact opposite of everybody else. And uh, it, yeah. it's, it's kind of frustrating yeah. watching him interact in these scenarios, even if it's realistic. It's a little bit frustrating. And obviously, when he starts to speak um, their language to them, yes. I, although he defi- <laughs> I do believe that he definitely knew some of their language, I definitely don't think he's this like expert right. that he's kind of maybe depicted to be. Okay. He, he seems to be this one like infallible character. He's a bit too convenient. Who, who just knows everything and is able to kind of solve everything. Uh, for me, the movie is pretty fun. It's pretty enjoyable. But when you take all of the ingredients, it's, n- it's not an incredible movie. It did not hit me the way I wanted it to. And I often really felt that it was quite confused. And I didn't like the, the powers scenes where it goes black and white. And then he's Walter Hill just suddenly amps all of this like chanting over it. I, I really felt that that's a very broad kind of cultural idea. Oh, how do I make people think that Geronimo's having a vision? I will like raise some Native American chanting right. noise over the top of it, and we'll we'll realize it's it's something. Right. Uh, to me, he's kind of a little bit heavy-handed in what he's doing. As much as I think he's has a, like a, a genuine, earnest approach, I really don't think that when it gets down to the movie, that he knows what he wants to do. I thought, I mean, I agree that I kind of rated it. It's kind of fine, but no more than that. There was one thing which like the return of an old friend, though, which I almost wept into my, my cup of tea with, which was the return of, is it Utah? It is just the most extraordinary landscape, isn't it? That I loved. Fantastic. I loved all that. And it is fantastic. And it is exciting. And there's a shootout that takes place later on, which is brilliant. Mm. Really tense, really uh, enjoyable. And the reason that scene stands out for me is that scene is completely historically inaccurate. Oh, right. It's not, okay. I, don't th- I don't think it happened to them at all. Okay. Or certainly some of the characters aren't there. Okay, so I'll... the bit where Gatewood makes his horse go down, gets behind his horse and shoots the other guy, is that realistic? We're segueing into historical accuracy. I'm going to say no. Right. I mean, it could be. I, I just think there's no... I, I need think, to know that. I think the... <laughs> I really then why know. didn't you look it up, David? I, I tried it with Dylan the dog yesterday, but he didn't want to play ball. It's because you're four times the size of him. <laughs> and you don't have a gun. Should have been easier. I think that and we'll, when we go into the historical accuracy, I'm pretty sure that what we've got is all of your key events are true, within right. reason, and that those points are happening. And everything in between is just, it's just filler. Right. So you've kind of got like two movies and they're clashing. So when you're having all of these uh, fight scenes and these battles, that was plausible. Mm. But that's where you really kind of let the creativity like flow, and they're going to kind of do a classic right. western in the best way they can. Okay. So that shootout scene is inspired by Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. So yeah. it's clearly like a set piece that's built into the movie that they're really excited about, and they focus quite a lot of time on it. Um, and it's really really good, but it feels slightly separate from the rest of the movie. In that it feels like I'm watching a really good movie in that moment. Right. And then I feel like the kind of political, social goals and the conflictions in what part of history to tell and how to tell it in an entertaining way the rest of the time... Kind of messes up the... It's too broad. And in that moment, they'll have structured... I'm assuming they'll have structured it as one specific scene. How do we get from here to here? This is what I want to happen. And then they make it really, really good for an audience. And I don't think that works on the larger scale. Okay. How do you feel the movie represents each of the three kind of groups? The US Army, the Native Americans, and the general people. Okay. General people I don't remember really appearing. So so obviously I've raised for you an example. 
as far as I'm aware, a lot of the interactions they have, whenever they meet a person, they're usually a sheriff, a cowboy or somebody, and they usually want Geronimo dead, and they threaten violence, and they're usually kind of operating from the perspective of the small towns. Yes, that's true. There is the sort of the tradition of, we want him dead. So I feel like the general people's view is like... We hate the, the and it's that famous and there's that famous line with where Crook says, you know, we're the best friend you've got, which kind of puts that into stark relief. That's saying that we're standing in between you and the people generally who want to get you out of the way. So, for example, those men in the shootout scene, I think they are meant to kind of generally represent how the Native Americans, right. or particularly Geronimo, would be viewed by anybody they were to encounter right. in the wild. Okay, okay. so. I think that's that one view. How do you think it then... I was going to ask you, actually, about um, how they dealt with that basic problem of dealing with modern guilt over the way Native Americans were treated. Because, of course, to give a a long-scale historical perspective, this is something which has happened throughout history. You know, in England... The Celts arrive and they remove the Beaker people culture, whether they remove the people or not is is moot. Anglo-Saxons do the same thing to the Britons. You know, throughout history, this process has occurred. Of course, now we want to live differently and we have this problem of having to deal with all that guilt, which has been less of a problem in the past. So, in my opinion, first of all, it's a very difficult task. Yeah. I think its initial problem is if it's, Trying to tell this story through the eyes of Matt Damon and Jason Patrick, it's failed. If it's trying to tell me about Geronimo and about the Apache tribes and what it was like for them as people during this time when they're being moved onto reservations and they're trying to reject that. This... It's still through the Western viewpoint. Yes. Although it makes strenuous efforts, it seems to me, to be balanced and fair. You yes. know. But it seems to always be that when it's being balanced and fair, it's because a heroic white character is True. choosing to show empathy yes. and is choosing to tell the other characters that they're wrong to have their views. Yeah. So uh, Jason Patrick's character and uh, Matt Damon later on in the movie when he chooses to resign, they're essentially putting forward the view that we want to put forward now. Yeah. And they speak through those characters. And it's like the rest of the characters generally kind of speak through historical perspectives. Yeah. That's what I would yeah. argue. I would agree there. I'd argue that... Unfortunately, the worthiness of it kind of makes it a bit dull. Yes. Which is a bit of a conundrum. So, how, how do we get here? So, I've read that John Milius, when he originally yes. wrote the first screenplay, he wanted to make this horrifically violent, I have Apocalypse a Now type movie. I have a quote for you, which you probably got the same one. Did they show him hanging little girls on meat hooks? His original draft yeah. covered Geronimo's entire life. Right, interesting. And then they alter it to focus on this later section. Mm. And obviously I, their goal is to depict a movie from the perspective of a Native American character generally and show us more about them. But I think that when they start getting into the movie and they want to show both sides, they start to struggle. Also because it's revisionist history, it's clear that Geronimo is not doing a lot of the stuff that he used to do mm. and the Apaches are maybe not carrying out raids and actions that they would have done in real life Mm. because they're counter to the perspective the movie wants to show. Mm. For example, a scene was cut where Geronimo gets really drunk, Mm. um, tells Britain that he's uh, he's drunk all this Tiswin, I think they call it, um, which they were told they weren't allowed to in that scene where he's like, no one's allowed to drink. They all get drunk and then they all flee. Mm. One of the three times he runs away. So they were like, we can't do that because it doesn't show him in this good light. How do you 
portray these people and show the subjugation of their race mm. and the persecution that they suffered while also showing the warrior-like lifestyle yeah, that they lived. And the lit. extremes that he went to to resist. So, for example, uh, in so those photos exist in at the meeting, all those photos that were taken of them all, yeah. um, which are the only ones that exist right. of that time. Um, they had a slave, I believe, that they had a man that they had captured and taken from his town is in the photos with them. Right. A man from like a Kansas right. town that they had kidnapped is in the photos with them at this right? meeting between the generals and right. the tribes. Obviously, that person's taken out because it, it yeah, conflicts with that story, story. Complicates the story, which is the trouble. So I have another quote for you, which I think is good for our general discussion when we get to it in some future date. Um, Walter Hill wrote, history is fascinating, but history is not a good dramatist, which is actually a pretty neat line. You know, too complicated. You've got to get rid of all this. But somehow they don't quite manage, therefore. And I think the world is ready for something in any, whether it's Native Americans or whether it's British history or wherever it is, of saying, look, these people resisting oppression were incredibly vicious in so doing, but we can accept that they are driven to it and the world is morally ambiguous. But then I'm not a filmmaker, and that's probably no. the reason why. But Walter Hill also said, this is another thing, uh, the audience doesn't go to a movie for a history lesson. It wants entertainment. Yeah. But at the same time, okay. they don't want something that trashes history. So it's a delicate line. Yeah. So I can see the issue that he's having. Yeah. I just think that he doesn't really know what line he wants to take. Yeah. As in John Milius is clearly going down one route yeah. in the original script. He wants to show him as a human predator yeah. and depict them as a warrior nation yeah. in all their like glory. But Walter Hill wants to kind of show a, a different maybe yeah. approach and they're trying to kind of conflate all of their emotions about the situation. And as a result, we get this really mixed bag. But... I think my criticism is not that they're trying to do a good job, it's that they think the best way to tell Geronimo's story is through Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> and so we come full circle. So we're going to have to start winding up because we've talked a lot. Um, so how, generally speaking, how do you think it does in terms of historical accuracy, given those vagaries it has to deal with? So, historical accuracy, just a few facts. First of all, Al Sieber, which is Robert Duvall's character, mm. um, Yes, he had that job. He was the leader of the scouts. He kind of is everything that his legacy suggests. But I don't think he does anything. Not a single thing that's depicted in the movie. Right. He's definitely not with them on the mission at the end, which Gatewood is on, and Gatewood does get to him. And they do have this meeting. He's quite sick at the time. And he does convince Geronimo to surrender. And there is a level of kind of mutual respect. He is um, essentially not given credit for it by the army. And he is sent off to Wyoming, where he ends up somehow involved in a wounded knee and other events so Al Sieber obviously he came from Gettysburg where he was like pretty severely wounded and he collected this like vast array of like war wounds and I'm pretty sure he, actually he is shot I believe at that incident that occurs at the river yeah. which leads to one of the escapes of Geronimo I believe he is shot there right. but he obviously doesn't go to the shootout in Mexico he isn't involved in any of that and he's somewhere else when Geronimo surrenders right. at the end Gene Hackman's general crook does resign and he does kind of do all of that stuff and he has that meeting, all the photo evidence exists. Geronimo lived and wrote an autobiography mm. uh, in 1905. He he gives an oral history to a writer who writes it down into an autobiography uh, and he was travelling around 
fairs and shows, mm. doing those stuff for many years after. It doesn't die until 1909. So I read a couple of pieces, and it's so interesting how you put things. Let me give you an example of this. You can say in English history, in Elizabeth's time, you can make two statements, both of which are true. You can say... Catholics had to live under a repressive regime that restricted their right to practice their religion. Or you can say Catholics in Elizabethan days had a liberty of religious expression that anybody in Southern Catholic Europe would have dreamt of having. Truth said in two different ways. Why am I saying that? I've read somebody who said Geronimo got drunk one night, fell off his horse, got pneumonia because he died in a ditch. Another one who said that Geronimo died an Oklahoma farmer. You know, two statements, both true, giving a completely different impression about Geronimo and where he ended as a person. And I'd love to have seen how Geronimo internalised and came to terms with what his life and what had happened to him and his people. Because supposedly he says on his deathbed that he wished he'd never surrendered, that he'd never given up, he'd rather have died fighting for his freedom right. than he would yeah. have by accepting this... The inevitability, almost, yeah. But it's clear to me that Geronimo's character is far more interesting in mm. real life than the movie shows yeah. him, and in was... all his complexities. Yeah, so his, historically-wise, you've all your major right. points work. Right, we're going to score it now, because we're beginning to warble. So, qualities of film, score it out of ten. Shouldn't you come prepared for this bit? I mean, you know, honestly. But I think about I don't this so critical, long. Obviously, you're it's... a very nice chap, and your beard is excellent, by the way. But you know, shouldn't you come prepared for the answer? Well, two things: compressing a movie down to just one random number. Well, the doesn't... Thing is, two random numbers. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that its accuracy uh, should be a five. Okay. Fine. That, that's. I think that's thing. harsh. Isn't it? I mean, you basically said it's pretty accurate. Yeah, but what I'm what I'm saying is that because it's revisionist, yeah, because it's tr- it's it's not giving us an accurate portrayal of Geronimo as a character, right, and potentially not of the other characters. Okay. the events take place, but everything is um, right. selective right. about what it's doing to okay. show us a certain five? side of things. A five, and I've decided we need to be harder on things anyway because you know we're too nice. Yeah, but do you agree? Does that make I sense? I mean, I'm a lot nicer than you are, but you know we're both too nice. Uh, that does make sense. Yes. So, so you've convinced me. If, for example, you had a, a movie about Henry VIII where he either did nothing good, yes, yeah, so where or Henry the, nothing bad, indeed, where Henry VIII was the hero that he was written in the nineteenth century to be, then you would say that's not accurate. Yeah, you, you need the balance, and I don't think they give Geronimo the balance of who he really was, and I don't think we see enough of him to really get that picture. Okay, fine. So historical accuracy is a five. Yep, and then I think that entertainment-wise, I want to say five or six. Six, maybe. I'm going to say six, yeah. I okay. mean, it, the, the time passed quite well. Okay, great. So five and a six. Five yeah, for historical six. accuracy. Uh, and, well, that's great. So we're... And oh, one last thing then. So why should anybody go and see this movie? It's for the same reason that I went to watch it in the first place. I, I detailed that earlier. You've got a really great cast. You've got a really interesting story, which I didn't know anything about, being told from this slightly revisionist perspective. But that's an interesting perspective. And I think that it's... Important to note that Geronimo previously had been portrayed by Chuck Connors, a basketball and baseball player, a white man, in a 1962 movie. Okay. We have... They have... We've moved on. Wes's performance is brilliant, and I think it's worth watching how his career moves forward and how Native Americans are represented in specifically the Western genre as well. 
And this is another kind of key movie in that line, even if it is not entirely successful. Right. Would you put this probably in one of your top ten no. historical movies of all time? I expect that the answer. I'm going to ask you next time, every time, okay? Every, every single time. Yeah. David, I can tell you my top ten movies right now, and then you'll You can't know. do that, because that would, that would reduce all the excitement. It's none and of anyway, the movies that we're doing. the word probably is the most important word in that sentence, because, you know, I know I'm going to end up with 50 historical movies that I would probably put in my top ten. Just so that you so it just sounds like you can't count. Yes, there is that. Right, well, that's great. That's very interesting. Anyway, I enjoyed the experience of watching it. It was great. It is worth noting, by the way, that this movie lost about $40 million on release and was a complete right? bomb. Complete bomb. Because a television version of the exact same story was released almost the same uh, day. Oops. So everybody got to watch it at it home on what? television. And then they didn't go to the movies, and even, supposedly... What do you mean? By the same actors? No, no. No, no, completely different It production. just came out on, like, PBS or oh. something um, around the same time. And that... Jason Patrick supposedly hadn't seen the movie, and when he went to the movie theatre, he ran out halfway through the movie and got in his limo and drove off because he was so dismayed at what he was watching. Oh, is that right? Oh, God, that must be hard. Uh, that must be terrible, wasn't it? It's just worth throwing that out there okay. because that is interesting. That lost a lot it's, of money. it's always fascinating when anybody involved in a movie it, yeah. comes out and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Because they don't see it until it's all stitched together, no, do they? they don't, you think they must know, but they do little bits here and there and everywhere. Okay, so now let me pass you across to a future David who's going to talk about the hell of discussing Braveheart with Facebook. Well, well, Braveheart. I had avoided watching Braveheart for so many years, it was tough to watch it in the end. I cannot claim that I was entirely unbiased. Maybe you spotted that. In the words of the bloody bard, I came to bury Braveheart, not to praise it. The evil that rubbishy history movies does lives on after them. The debate was a lot of fun, though. I released the thing slightly oddly because I think it took me a few hours to put the poll up on Facebook after I'd released the episode. Luke was on it like a rat up a drain. When are we getting the Braveheart vote? Only halfway through, and I just wish David would get off the fence. I do hope there's a nice range of democratic options to choose from. One of the greatest movies ever made that accurately portrays the epic of Wallace. History, schmistery. Gibson gives us the legendary Wallace, which is what he's all about. It's almost as if the inaccuracies are what make it such a good film. Open brackets. Just a suggestion. Close bracket. Thank you for the suggestion, Luke. Mm. Jessica's early post made me laugh too. A sort of litany of all the movies she loves, ending in the admission, Oh, I'm a period movie geek, which is great, which is why I'm here too. So fight on, Wallace. Fight on, said Jessica. And so the poll went up and the fight went on. If one thing is for absolutely sure, Braveheart gets a reaction. People have a point of view. Over 400 of you voted. Given the higher numbers, the percentages are maybe a bit unfair. A rather low 32% of you loved it, a rather high 31% hated it, with the rest of you going for, it's all right. Which I think may be a pretty good example of a normal distribution curve, but I'm not a statistician, so I don't know. 13 of you, though, put it in your top 10 movies, second only to Master and Commander, a film whose shoelaces, of course, Braveheart is unworthy to tie up. Oh, did that sound biased? There were a few themes. There was the I love it, slightly ashamed of it group, of which Cheryl formed part by admitting that she also liked Beastmaster. If that's the one with the biceps and the ferrety creature, then that's fine by me. Then there was the unapologetic Team Braveheart, Though, oddly enough, none of you really commented as such. The closest I got was Eileen's request for a poll option. If my husband tries to make me watch it for a tenth time, we need to go for marital counselling. Quite a lot of you went for Rebecca's. 
it got people interested in history slash Scotland line of argument. The list of historical accuracies went on for so long I could not possibly try to summarise them. I thought Yamo's own rule was pretty good as a summary for evaluating movies, setting the burden of proof quite low at did it insult me on a personal level. For Yamo, Braveheart did, and so its many faults could not be overlooked or forgiven. If you go back to the post, Alan's definitive 15,647 reasons why Braveheart is a hateful movie is, well, it's definitive. Though Richard made a suggestion, given that even the title of the movie was a lie, since, as Devon also pointed out, Braveheart was apparently Robert Bruce's nickname, not Wallace's, we should have a 10 to minus 10 scale rather than 0 to 10. So that'll be minus 11 for Braveheart then. There were lots of other laughs. I did enjoy all the comments. Holly made me laugh with, My grandpa claimed to be a descendant of William Wallace. Grandpa said a lot of things. Not relevant to the debate. Just made me laugh that I hope and expect to be that grandpa one day. Oh, the porkies, I will tell. There was general sympathy for Heidi's first date experience, played out against the background of Braveheart. And look, there were some detailed likes of the movie as well. Mimi spoke for a few, like Patrick, Tim and others, who also commented that the music was brilliant. Juan pointed out the wonderful cinematography. Peter and Kevin mentioned Patrick McGowan and his peerless Edward I. Obviously, Gibson's own reputation also affected people's attitudes. But one major thing was that debate about what responsibility filmmakers have towards historical accuracy, if any. And views ranged all the way from, it's just a film, people don't take it seriously. Too. It's irresponsible, and for many, forms their view of what the period was really like. It's a really interesting debate, and it's one that Wolf and I want to come back to and focus on in an episode one time. Anyway, the long and short of this is that I feel I have done my duty, and I've watched the thing. 23 years too late, maybe, but I've done it, and the debate with you lot came very close to making it all worthwhile, so thank you very much. In the end, I'll make do by agreeing with Tiffany that I'd rather watch Highlander. And actually, I suspect Highlander's more historically accurate anyway. Back to the present then. Join us on Facebook, everybody. Come and vote and come and say what you think of Geronimo and all the rest of it. And come and put us right in our very tendentious and uh, rather thin uh, understanding of American history. You can put us all right. Perfect. Right. Thank you very much, everybody. And so it's goodbye from me and goodbye from me. Are you not entertained? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 